Hey, group, this is the Son of Gold, and you're listening to the Secret Lair Drive-In. <laughs> Welcome to the Secret Lair Drive-In with your hosts, D-Dub and Stratosphere. The Secret Lair Drive-In is dedicated to bringing you the finest in B-movie entertainment news and reviews. And now, on with the show. Saturday night at the movies. Kiss meets the Phantom. Lights out. And now the movies, folks. Well, hello there, and welcome to yet another exciting episode of The Secret Lair Drive-In. I am your host, your fearless leader, D-Dub. And across the way back from... And across the way back machine for me is my co-host and faithful acolyte, Stratosphere. Hi, kids. Well, before we hop into this week's cinematic or small screen masterpiece... We'll toss out our contact information if you'd like to send us an email. Suggest a movie. Give us your opinion on this or any of the movies that we have covered. How can they do that? Uh, if memory serves, we have done this in a while, but I'm going to say it was uh, secretlayerpodcast at gmail.com. And that is correct. Yay! <laughs> hey! All right. Even a blind squirrel gets a nut once in a while. So! That reminds me, i got a picture i got to show you later. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not in that way. Come on. So, <laughs> hang on. I gotta look this thing up real quick. We just call it bad day. And no, I'm not gonna post it. See, hey. you're, you're just teasing them now. Here we go. Oh my! Oh my! 
That's rough. We'll just edit that out. But uh, so, what is this week's gem? Well, from uh, from the year 1978, it uh, it was a TV movie. Uh, didn't quite. It didn't make it to the theaters uh, in the U.S., but it's my understanding in Europe it actually made it in the theaters. Uh, Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park. Yeah, crickets. <laughs> yeah, and actually, again, in 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 Europe, it was actually retitled as Kiss in the in the Attack of the Phantoms, and uh, it actually wound up being a somewhat different movie overseas. But we'll we'll see if we can get into that later. Well, <laughs> okay. I think it's time to go to <laughs> the plot. All right. Now, well, okay, the film, the first thing you see in the film, of course, is uh, the the Kiss doing rock and roll all night as giants, uh, basically riding riding the rides at uh, where, where the movie takes place at Magic Mountain. It's got... Uh, Peter Chris literally doing air drums. He's he's like, like kind of got his sticks suspended in midair, like he, he's, um, I don't know, playing the air. <laughs> I don't, uh, yeah, don't know how quite to describe it. But he's uh, probably so drunk he thought he was playing. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, the film once it actually starts after the credits, the film opens at Magic Mountain, where Melissa, played by Deborah Ryan. And her boyfriend Sam, played by Terry Lester, who later went on to fame uh, in The Young and the Restless, because I I actually got my wife to watch it because she's a huge Kiss fan, and we're going I'm, we're going later on in the summer, and uh, she's like, I feel like I know that dude. I said, Yeah, that's the first ja- um, Jack Abbott from Y and R. She's like, No way! Oh my god, I didn't know he was in this. I said, He's not. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? You'll find out. They're enjoying a day at the amusement park. If nothing else, he probably wishes he wasn't. Oh, my God. Uh, they're enjoying a day at the amusement park. Sam, a park employee, disappears early in the film while investigating the ab- laboratory of Abner Devereaux, who is the park's head engineer and the creator of a series of lifelike cybernetic creatures on display throughout the park. Sounds like a bad guy for Scooby-Doo. Abner Devereaux. Oh, this whole thing is is like the lost episode of the Scooby-Doo movies. Scooby-Doo meets Kiss. Swear to God, I, I'm watching it, well, and, and that's how the whole. I, I just, I, I all. And all do, you, do you know why? Why is it like that? Because it's made by Heine Barbera. That's right. But you know, I, only thing it was missing was the the hallway doors chase sequence. If it would have had that, it would have totally been a Scooby Doo movie. Totally. Oh. oh. Zoinks! It's Kiss. Wow! Not even in the first paragraph of the. Um, it is subsequently revealed that Sam has been transformed by Devereaux into a mindless cyborg through the use of a tiny mind control device attached to Sam's neck. See, today we call that a Bluetooth. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Devereaux's increasingly erratic behavior is a cause of concern for Calvin Richards, the owner of the amusement park. Faced with a budget crunch, Richards decides to channel money away from Devereaux's projects in order to pay for a KISS concert. That's right. Kiss tonight. Tonight only. Which, which I hate when they say that because they actually play for like three nights, I think. Yeah, the, they had three shows. Yeah. And, and they, they had a point and, of saying tonight only. <laughs> They're doing it tonight, tomorrow, and then the day then after the other, that afternoon. And then that other night. Um, Richards explains to Devereaux 
that the concert will generate much-needed revenue, but Devereaux is livid. Later, three punks dressed like members of a biker gang <laughs> sabotage one of the rides, placing a group of riders in danger. Richards blames Devereaux for the incident and fires him. Uh, Devereaux swears revenge upon Richards, the park, and Kiss, all of whom he blames for his misfortune. I gotta say this guy, Devereaux, he, he's kind of a good example of um, a, a trope that is, on TV tropes, they, they call it, Reed Richards is useless. Oh, do tell. Well, you know, Reed Richards comes up with all these fantastic inventions, and then he doesn't do anything with them, or past the adventure that... I mean, this guy has come up with, with you know, cybernetic... Uh, uh, you know, robots that put anything Disney at that time had put to shame, and he he's worried that that the amusement park is is not doing it right. It's like, dude, you should be working for the Pentagon, seriously. Yeah, I saw some of these. They had a gorilla, one of his cybernetic gorillas. The one that, think? yeah, the one kept kind of just leaning back and then coming forward it again. Looked like a drinking bird. Uh yeah, exactly that. So, okay. Um, when Kiss arrives for their show, Devereaux first attempts to discredit them by unla- unleashing a robotic Gene Simmons. Was this, That was after the show they did, right? The first show. Yeah, well, the first show, they do these... I don't even know how to put it, where they all appear. You know, they just kind of fly out of the sky, and one of them shoots a laser beam, and they all walk down the laser beams. Well, that's and, in the opening credits. No, 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 did. this is right before they do the show. Oh, well, that's, that's how, how they... That's, that's well, their grand appearance. Or yeah, because they, they all have, have like, superpowers. So, uh, anyway, the robotic Gene Simmons... Perce- I have to wonder. Okay. Do, do you remember if this came out before or after the uh, Kiss comic? I want to say it was after. The, um, the Kiss comic, I want to say, was 77. Actually, both of them, I think, came out. By late '77, there was the first one, which which had the blood in the ink, which I thought was a brilliant little uh, uh, publicity ploy. And then they had a second one, because in the first comic book, their their talismans all basically look they look like little action figures of them. Okay. And then when they did the second one, they had turned into like the the Paul Paul Stanley's uh, character, the Star Child, had a star. Okay. Uh, Gene Simmons looked like the shape of a dragon. You know, they were they were more stylized and kind of symbolic as gotcha. opposed to, as opposed to actually looking like them. Um, but the robotic Gene Simmons proceeds to damage buildings in the park and to in- injure a security guard. The next day, Kiss is questioned by Richards and some security guard. But as they're no, all as they're all sitting on these tall chairs. Yeah, they, and there was a little bit of dialogue before this. Where they're going, oh, they're out by the pool. Oh, they're swimming? No, these rock and rollers, don't, they don't like the water. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah, and that's that's a bit of hysterical dialogue, just, just talking with them, because, um, first of all, every bit of Peter Chris's dialogue, regardless of what he says, had to be looped. He, he just was unintelligible, uh, everything he said, and... Uh, there was a lot of problems with the dialogue. Everybody showed up to do the looping, you know, the the overdubbing, okay. except Peter Chris. So every line you hear from Peter Chris, uh, the, the the cat man character, 
uh, is not Peter Chris talking. That they uh, an actor by the name of Michael Bell that it, that it has done had done voiceover work before and has done quite a bit since. And he did all of Peter Chris's dialogue. Peter Chris swears that no, I showed up, but literally you've got the other three guys and most everybody involved with kisses. No, dude, you, that was one of the times you quit. Cause oh, okay. B- Peter Chris, even, even by his own admission, threatened to quit kiss like about a million times. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's funny because you listen to, um, well, Ace keeps making these really weird chirping noises. Ah! Yeah. And Paul, well, then there's a story behind that because they. I'm, I'm a huge Kiss geek. Go right ahead. Um, no, what happened was they the writers actually hung out with the guys out out of makeup and out of uniform because okay we want this is this is something the fans because Kiss was kind of at the height of their popularity at this point. And they wanted this to be something really cool for the fans. So they hung out with Kiss and tried to get a feel for how they talk. What you know, what would be some good dialogue we could do for them. Well, Ace was really a weird character. And the whole time they're talking to the other... I mean, all the other guys are talking about their success and their career and the band and all that. All Ace would say was, Ack! So when it came, they're like, well, what do we write for him? I don't know. That was the only thing he said. Let's just put that in. Well, then they got to filming that scene, and Ace Frehley had, had a fit over the whole thing. Because well, That's all I'm saying? Well, that's all you said at, at the initial interview. <laughs> so they literally had, overnight, they had to um, write a couple other scenes that... Oh, yes. Yeah. So some of the great dialogue, like, Star child. <laughs> Insufficient data at this time. Yeah. Well, and, and, oh, okay. I've, I've, Go ahead. Well, you know, I'll say it now so I don't forget. Um, there's a sequence, we're getting a little bit ahead of it, but there's a sequence near the end where they're in this, uh, in this big Scooby Doo style fight. And the reason I call it Scooby Doo style fight is because the music being played in the background, I think, is literally from, from a Hanna Barbera production. It's just, I wouldn't doubt it. Um, Ace Frehley, almost every scene he does in there is played by a stuntman because he's doing all these leaps and karate kicks. Here's the funny part. The stuntman was black. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. if you, I, I know it was torture to put you through it, but fast forward to that thing, and there's especially one part where he kind of lands and he falls backwards against some stuff. Freeze it at that point. You can totally see it's this big, long, lanky black guy wearing wearing <laughs> the long hair and wig. It, and it's just like, oh my god! It is. I may just have to watch this piece of crap again. Yeah, yeah. Um. Okay. So, um, I will say too, while you're trying to find where you're going, if out of everybody that's on this, the one that's really playing it up about the most would be Gene Simmons. Yeah, I mean, you watch him as he's walking around. He's like crouching and doing this and that. Oh, and he's he's totally chewing the scenery. And and gi- given that that's what the fans want to see, I mean, again, this is at the height of their popularity. This is arguably the peak for Kiss. Probably just prior to this coming out, they they had just kind of peaked because um, they had so many problems making this. It led to a lot of animosity between the band members and. 
that's what led to the talks of them doing this. If you recall, they each did a solo album at the I same time. I remember that. I remember that. It was because of it was. I'm oversimplifying it. There's more to the story, but this movie is what led to the solo albums because they got to the point where they couldn't stand each other. So they were trying to figure out how do we stay on top of our popularity, but get some time away for each other and from each other. And so basically somebody came up with the idea of solo albums. So that's why, even though they, each of them dedicated the soul, their particular solo albums to the other three guys, they, they hadn't, they literally didn't hear the other solo albums until the day they came out. Oh, okay. And, um, okay, so the next day, Kiss is questioned by Richards and some security guards, but no action is taken. His first plan, having failed, Devereaux attempts to sabotage the scheduled Kiss concert. He manages to neutralize Kiss's abilities and imprison them in his underground laboratory. And and again, total Scooby-Doo, dude. Seriously. Um... Finally, he sends the fake Kiss on stage where they perform a version of Hotter Than Hell, which they, they've retitled, Rip, Rip, Rip and Destroy. <laughs> uh, awesome. And the whole time the audience is going, basically going, what the? So, I know this is my second beer, but that don't sound right. <laughs> Maybe I should have a third. And you know, too bad I can't count. <laughs> If I could, I'd know I have, I don't have 32 teeth in my mouth. Um, what do you call 32? I have, I have this many. <laughs> what do you call 32 West Virginians in the back of a pickup truck? Full set of teeth. <laughs> we love uh, you, West Virginia. Yeah, not really. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you uh, know, I, this song, doesn't it kind of whip the crowd into a frenzy? Yes, I know when I go to a rock concert and they sing something, it makes me want to go right out and do what they're singing about. I don't know. The, the only thing I would I would be whipped into a frenzy is, dude, you're singing the lyrics wrong. What the hell's up with that? Um, anyway, the uh, yeah, the, the ultra lyrics, like you said, meant to incite the crowd to riot. That doesn't quite come off that way. The real kiss managed to escape from Devereaux. And fly yes, I, to the stage. How do they escape? They use their mental abilities to make the talismans come over to them. Yeah. They, which I'm like, what? Now, hang on. A second ago, you tried touching these bars, and they damn near electrocuted you. But these talima, talismans, which were protected by a force field earlier in the thing. Yeah. But somebody came up with some sort of a ray gun to drain the force fields. Right. And mid-fight... You know, they're trying to escape, and Ace tried doing this hitchhiking thing to make him disappear. Yeah. And he popped him, like, six feet away. But. There, I, I will say um, there were a lot of – and you pointed that, this out to me before I'd actually had a chance to sit down and, you know, really get into this thing, is that there were a lot of elements from the Kiss, the original Kiss comics that they, they were actually incorporated into this. So I will give the producers credit. They weren't just totally – you know, flying blind. They they did. They were trying to bring some elements that the the fans actually liked into it. Uh, well, okay. And uh, so they they wind up flying to the stage for a final battle with their robotic doppelgangers. After the real kid. Why do they have to fly when Ace could have done the whole hitchhiking thing and just got him there? Because it looks cool them flying through the air. Oh, okay. Um. And they manage to get rid of the fake versions. The concert continues, and the crisis is averted. 
And after the show, Kiss, Melissa, and Richards converge on Devereaux's lab in an attempt to convince Devereaux to release Sam from his control. But when his chair is spun around, Devereaux has newly white hair and a frozen expression on his face. Uh, I, I'm not sure whether he's dead or catatonia. They really, they kind of don't really say one way or another. You really don't care, <laughs> is the point. I don't really give a rat's ass. And uh, the group is despondent, but Stanley stumbles upon the mind control device on Sam's neck and removes it. Sam returns to normal, so he's in the first two minutes and the last two minutes, basically. Uh, no memory of what had happened, and Richard comments... Can I get one of those mind control things so I can wear it while I'm watching this movie so I can completely forget watching the movie? Well, either that or, you know, put it on people, you know, stupid people, but, you know, let's face it, you have to hook it up to a car battery to get that kind of power. <laughs> uh, like a bunch of them. Yeah. You ever, see the, you ever see how they wire up the batteries for a golf cart? I think oh, like yeah. 12 of them in sequence. Exactly. You need something like that. Exactly. Um, Richard comments on Devereaux saying he created Chris, he, he created Kiss to destroy Kiss, and he lost. And the movie ends with Kiss performing God of Thunder live on stage. Roll credits. So. Oh my God, this was awful! <laughs> feel better? Feel, I, feel better now? And I know I, I know I like maxed it out, but. Oh, okay, it, admittedly, this was not really written with adults in mind. A lot of. A lot it was of, for Kiss fans. Yeah, well, not only for Kiss fans, but a lot of the Kiss fans. At the time, um, they were younger. Admit it. There are a lot of younger ones. Well, you know, Kiss's target audience was, you know, late teens, early 20s. That was kind of who was coming to their shows. And um, they, the thing of it is, Kiss, the, the, the reason Kiss almost completely self-destructed was they and their management kept getting greedy. Uh, they kept wanting to expand their audience, but by the time they did this and the solo albums, by the time they did Dynasty, was, which was their first full-length album after all this, uh, when they started to tour with Dynasty, A, the crowd levels had way fallen off, and they noticed that a lot of parents were taking their kids to the concert. I could I could see that 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 really was a slap in the face to them because they their whole point of being in the first place was they wanted they wanted to seem scary they wanted to seem like oh my god this is just such a uh, we talk I, I still want to do a, a show on this but shock rock you know they were looking to take what Alice Cooper and the New York Dolls and all of them had done and just take it up to the next level and just be like the scariest most amazing thing in the world and yeah parents were taking their kids to shows so. well at by that point though they had become very cartoonish well they started out as cartoons and they were okay with that gene simmons has has said everything we did at the beginning I, he was a huge comic book fan his his whole his uh his original costume as the demon was based on black bolt from the inhumans with the wings under the, I could see that. Yeah, he said flat out, I, I love Black Bolt was one of my favorite uh, characters in Marvel Comics, and when I was designing the first official demon costume, that's what I told uh, the people I was working with. That's what I'm going for, you know. So I respect the fact that you know egotistical, you know, 
ass aside, he's he's always had a you know he's had that bit of geek uh, geek well, credibility. I, going I can on. remember going to a comic book shop downtown. Cosmic Comics. Yes. Okay. And they actually had pictures. Screw you, Tony Isabella. <laughs> Just had to throw that out. Um. Oh, they actually had a picture. Uh, I guess whenever they tour. Yeah. Uh, he'd go to comic book shops all over. Oh, yeah. Stuff. Like I said. It, There's a picture of him standing in Cosmic Comics looking you, at stuff. You, you can make any claim about him you want, and most of it's probably true, but uh, that was one thing that I had found out early that always um, attracted me to the band is that they kind of had that little bit of geek credibility. That when they got to do the comic books for Gene Simmons, it was like he was totally geeking well, out. He got to meet Stan Lee. That was a dream come true for him. Well, you could you could see it just in his performance during this, you know. Oh, he's he's, he's just like hamming said, it up big time. Hamming it up, but he, I don't know if if it's true, but he looks like he's kind of really really digging it. Um, yeah, I think I think he well, let's say he was the most comfortable of the four with the whole concept. I think. I get the impression, and we'll flatter them by calling them performances, but I get the impression from the other four, they're all kind of, okay, we're doing this, our management said this is a good idea, we're really not sure, I guess let's just do this as best we can. Gene Simmons is the only one that like, yeah, this is cool, we get to be superheroes, yeah, buddy. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I you could see that just from the way he walks, or this or that, or just... No, I did, and I also, I don't quite know what to make of this considering the, the topic we're talking about but um i if, am i mistaken his is the only voice that's actually distorted i think the other three pretty much i, be- I believe you are right it is distorted they keep putting in things like the lion's roar and yeah the and all that. I, yeah yeah the lion's roar though i remember that now, now i actually know why they did that is because gene simmons speaking voice the, the man was a grade school teacher he's he's got a very Calm, quiet, erudite type. Yes. Go out by a kiss coffin. Yes. If you're going to die, you want to die in a kiss coffin. I'm evil incarnate, by the way. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> I'm, I'm a fan. But, um, no, he's just got this very measured, calm demeanor and, and very businesslike way of talking, and that wouldn't have worked for the you... character of the demon. So right. I, I understand... You, you know, and, you know, Paul Stan is like this. Well, he's got this like Jersey accent as he's as he's talking. I, I'm guessing Jersey. I don't know, but well, they're they're all they're all from New York originally. I know, but so. Paul Stanley, his is the one where you can really hear well, the. You know, accent. it's funny. Like I said, huge Kiss fan. You, you listen to them on a live. Paul does does several little you know raps during the songs and all that. And I always thought it was weird that he sounds like he's got this like southern thing going on. Okay. And I'm just like, wait a minute, you guys have made no bones about the fact they're from New York. Why do you keep saying y'all? And I, I, when I was reading Paul Stanley's autobiography, he says that was deliberately done because people, people kind of knew we were from New York, and we wanted to give it kind of an uh like we're not actually he was they were cultivating the myth that was a big thing with kiss and so what he did was he actually deliberately changed his accent from new york to jersey and he threw in a bit of southern baptist preacher in there too because he he saw concerts as kind of a revival experience 
and he was he was getting the crowd on their feet and swaying and and dancing in in the aisles, and he definitely wanted to go for that that old time religion type of feel. So that's why he, he deliberately had, like I said, he, he had the Jersey thing to throw him off a little bit because Jersey and New York accents are very distinct if you're if you're listening for the difference between the two. Yeah. And like I said, he threw in a bit of a Southern Baptist uh, revivalist preacher. So, so um, I'll tell you one thing: I would I would love to hear a recording of. There were a couple of weeks, or it might have even been a couple of months, in um, Toronto where Paul Stanley performed as the Phantom of the Opera. Um, again, reading in his autobiography, uh, he was, uh, there was a very personal role for him. Um, he he actually suffered from a birth defect, not very well known. He suffered from something called microtia. He had no, um, I, I want to say it was his right ear. He basically had a stump there. He is deaf in that ear to this day. Okay. And um, basically, when he was born, he had a little stump there. And um, it wasn't until years later, I mean, he got made fun of in school, obviously. And it wasn't until years later, after he'd made some money with Kiss, he actually went in for surgery and had it reconstructed, part of his rib, some some cartilage from some other part of his body. And um, he was able to take his experiences feeling like that freak, that outsider. He, uh, The girl he was dating at the time had taken him to see Phantom of the Opera, and he was just really emotionally affected by it. Well, he found out through one of his contacts that there was possibly an opening coming up. toward. They were getting ready to close out the show, uh, end its run, and they had like about a month of shows, and... He let it be known he would be interested in doing it. He had to audition, and everybody was like, "Yeah, Michael St- or Michael Stanley, Paul Stanley, no relation, is going to uh, come up and do this thing." Well, he blew them away just because it it hit home with him the the freak, the outsider, okay. the, the, the 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 scarred and misshapen. And uh, I read a lot of reviews, and they said he his was arguably better than um, what was the guy that did it in the first place. You know, Michael I'm, Crawford. Yeah, I read a few reviews that said his performance was as good as, if not better, than Michael Crawford, just because he was so. They, they said he'd get to the end of the show and he would literally have tears and sweat pouring out. He lost like five pounds on almost every show. He got so into the whole thing. So, I would love to see it. I, I, I'm been trying to find if see if somebody uh, filmed a, a performance of his, but it sounds like it's it, got to be out there somewhere. So, but uh, yeah, this this kind of was um, I would say it was the beginning of the of the end for Kiss. I mean, they've since come back like two or three times, but of their initial run where it was you know when Kit and they actually had a documentary called When Kiss Ruled the World because they were that popular at that point. Oh sure. But this was the movie that basically was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. They had been. Similar to the Beatles before them, had li- been living kind of a fishbowl existence, touring, recording, touring, recording, and well, they did have one big advantage over over the Beatles, though. If they wanted to go out in public, they could have a certain degree of anonymity. Um, as long as they didn't appear together, it's my understanding it was when they would appear together without makeup. That's when um, they would have. You know, the paparazzi trying to follow them. For the most part, everyone left them alone. Funny story I heard um, 
they were coming back from a show in Los Angeles, and it was a Halloween show. And they their limo was stuck in traffic, and they wanted to get back to the hotel because everybody was really tired. And Paul Stanley came up with the idea, guys, let's get out because it, it, it's you know it's Hollywood, Los Angeles area. It's Halloween. Everybody thought they were Kiss fans dressed up as, as Kiss. So they literally walked all the way, they walked probably about a mile and a half back to the hotel room, and everybody's like, yeah, we're Kiss fans. They had no idea this was the actual group. I love that story. That is cool. Okay, well, as, as I'm sure we could probably go on wax poetic about the band and all that, but it is that point in the podcast yes. where we have to give this thing a rating. Oh, boy. Um, as huge a Kiss fan as I am, I'm I'm going to go Stinkburger. This this was... You, you have to be a diehard fan. And even... I, I will say this. Uh, I had recently found a, a pretty decent uh, Kiss podcast called Kissery Science Theater. And uh, lifelong fans, very re- well researched. Uh, they have a Kiss commentary show where which is basically meant to sync up with it and they tell you right at, at the beginning okay we're we're all basically on our third beer because even as fans the sync sucks <laughs> <laughs> but it but their commentaries are very very funny i'm gonna have to look out for that one yeah um all i can i mean I be, be brutal I, I i realize it is what it is and i'm I, you're probably nowhere near as uh die hard of a fan as me so and i'm gonna go Stinkburger, I'm going to add a little bit of extra onion on it. Okay. I can't go bottom of the barrel because it... It does have a certain camp feel. It does. I mean, it is what it is. It doesn't pretend to be anything else. It's it's definitely a relic of its time. Yeah. It's it's almost got... It's got a certain fascination in watching it when you realize that this thing was the highest rated show... In all of 1978, on any of the networks, I could see that because, like you said, essentially when, they were at the height of their when powers. Kiss ruled the world, exactly. But yeah, I, I that's the part I looked up that I I was a little amazed by, but I was also like, yeah, okay, I can see it. Is that yeah, there was no show on any of the, and at that time there were only three networks, but there, this was literally the highest rated show of of all of 1978. So. Just kind of goes to show you how uh, things change after a while. Okay. Uh, well, once again, let's toss out that contact information. Uh, we can be reached at um, secretlayerpodcast at gmail.com. That's right. Subscribe to us on iTunes, your Windows phone. Go to your Windows phone store and look for us. And, of course... Beyond Pod for your Android devices. And, and I must mention, uh, I just found this out recently. Uh, longtime listeners will know that this was originally called um, uh, Darkwind's Secret Lair. Uh, if you're looking for this show specifically, do a search on uh, Secret Lair Drive-In, because otherwise you will be directed to uh, the original Darkwind's Secret Lair, and a lot of those shows are no longer available. Just to really? I thought that that feed had actually clarified itself too. No, if if you do a search on Beyond Pod for for Secret Lair, that's actually the first one that comes up. So you have to 
actually put in drive in or else it that won't come up i'll be darned so i know that, when i that might be something that maybe we can resolve at some point in the future to uh eliminate confusion but i i, I noticed that myself like a couple weeks ago and i've been meaning to mention it to our fans anybody or especially anybody that's new to the show wants to kind of uh get into some of our our, our back issues so to speak but uh that which that, that's a potential problem which i'm I'm hoping to at some point. I probably uh, yeah. With all that free time you have. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It took me how long to post the last two episodes? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, with that being said, what is our film for next time? Well, we're going to, uh, as as our usual pattern, we're going to go to uh, a kaiju, and it's one that I have not seen actually. But um, oh no, wait, no, I did see this one. I just saw this one, as a matter of fact. I was thinking of something else. Uh, Godzilla 2000 Millennium. Yep. Uh, figure since we had the recent Godzilla 2014, why not do one of the reboot ones? Yes. Um, the One of the channels on, on cable, I don't recall which one, but they were kind of running... Uh, several of the Godzilla movies and that was one of them. And I actually got, got to watch it on, on the big screen upstairs. So I was, I was real happy about that and I didn't fall asleep either. So that was good. <laughs> oh, very cool. Okay. With that being said, this is D dub and stratosphere saying, go watch a B movie. And why? Because the demon orders it. No, uh, <laughs> rip, 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 rip and, and destroy. destroy. Ah, uh, but in the meantime, these things won't watch themselves. Later, folks. Bye, kids. Gee, that was a swell movie. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater.